Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 7, verses 25 to 40. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no commands from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean. Brothers, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his, possession, or if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed doth well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. You may be seated. As we get seated, let me pray for us. Father, be with us now. We thank you for your word. And we thank you that we do not read your word on our own, but in community, illumined by your Spirit. Let us now encourage us, transform us, that we may glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Sam. I'm part of the team here. And it's my joy to open up God's Word with you this morning. This morning, as, as I was talking to some of uh, someone coming in, George mentioned to me that I look like the young and hip pastor. And I just want to invite you to keep speaking such truth into my life. <laughs> So let's get started. <laughs> he who has no wife lives without joy, blessing, or good. He who has no wife lives without joy, blessing, or good. This was a slogan that reflected the attitude of many in the Greco-Roman world that Paul was writing to. And we could flip it around. She who has no husband lives without joy, blessing, or good. And we know that in this Greco-Roman world, some had gone to the other extreme. Their slogan was this, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It is good for a woman not to have sexual relations with a man. Two slogans about singleness and marriage that when we hear it, we realize could so easily be describing our world today. Many today believe that the only path to true happiness is to get married, or if marriage is too outdated, to be in a relationship, to couple up. 
Shows like 40-year-old virgin express our culture's disbelief that someone could go through all of life single without having sex. But there are in our culture an increasing number who follow a second approach, aren't there? The approach that says marriage and relationships are unnecessary distractions. Distractions from true spirituality and fulfillment. Distractions from finding your life's full achievement and meaning and purpose. If you're just joining us this morning for the first time, we, we are studying the letter of 1 Corinthians, a letter that Paul was writing to a church in a place called Corinth 2,000 years ago. And Paul is writing to, into a world with attitudes towards singleness and marriage that are not too different from ours 2,000 years later. And he's responding to a question that many of us today still are asking, should a single person seek marriage? Should a single person seek marriage? And we need to be clear here, it's not comparing cohabiting with marriage. We're comparing singleness with marriage because there's sexual and relational intimacy that is reserved only for a marriage. And this is a topic that's relevant to all of us because even though some of us may have forgotten this, singleness is the default mode. Everyone starts out single and we are all either single used to be single or will be single one day. And we all have friends and family who are single. So again, let me emphasize this. This is not a sermon just for singles. It's a sermon for all of us because this is God's word. So we're going to divide Paul's response to this question into three. Paul's response, gospel lenses, and gospel priority. Paul's response, gospel lenses, and gospel priority. So let's jump in. First, let's look at Paul's response. We can look at it from verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in, the, in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. So, so let's just unpack this a little bit. Even though the passage starts off concerning the betrothed, the word that's translated betrothed can actually refer more generally to, to anyone who is not married. And as we read on, we'll see that what Paul has to say here is relevant to all those who are not married. Next, the phrase, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Paul says here that he has no command from the Lord, which means that he's not citing a specific command from Jesus. We need to be clear here. Some of us are tempted to read this and say, oh, therefore, because it's just Paul's words. It has less authority on us. That, that's not what's happening at all. Brett went through this last week. I'm, I need to emphasize it again. Paul is just differentiating between what Jesus said when he was on earth and what Jesus did not say. But just because Paul is not, dis, not citing a direct command of Jesus does not make his words any less authoritative. Paul is writing as an apostle of Christ. And with his apostolic authority, we need to know that this is the Word of God. So what is Paul saying here? In view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. The word, the word present can also mean present and coming, a distress that is here but is also coming. Now scholars are divided over what this present distress means and that's because we're only reading one part of a conversation. We don't, the Corinthians knew what Paul was writing about. Paul knew what he was writing about. But we who are reading one side of it are not very clear. Some, some scholars think that it's referring to a period of, 
of, of perhaps famine or, or natural disaster, a period of social upheaval happening at the time. Others think that it's, Paul is referring to an eschatological suffering, distress. The, the, the distress that Jesus says will come and will get worse and worse until he comes again. And actually, to make sense of this passage and to apply it to ourselves, we don't actually need to know exactly what the distress was. You see, the Corinthians were going through a distressing time and we will all go through distressing times. And the Bible tells us, promises us, that this distress, this suffering, will only get worse until Jesus comes again. And during times of distress, it's inevitable that we will question, should we get married? There's a reason why marriages have plummeted during the pandemic. Sometimes it's distress from living in a fallen world with sickness and disaster and loss and war. Sometimes it's distress from being persecuted as a Christian. And so in light of this present and coming distress, Paul's advice is this, for a person to remain as they are, for married to remain married, but for singles to remain single. Paul explains further what he means in verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Let's put everything together. Because of the present and coming distresses of the world, they will only get worse as we wait for Jesus to come again. Paul's advice is this, remain as you are. If you're already married, you should not divorce. But if you're, if you're not yet married, Paul's advice is to remain single in order to be spared from worldly troubles. And at this point, we read this, especially for those of us who are thinking about getting married or thinking about thinking about getting married, we're going, oh no. <laughs> but so before we draw the wrong conclusions from this passage, it's important that we, that we do two th a couple of things. The first is, it's important we put on gospel lenses. So as you can all see, I need to wear glasses. And that's because I have difficulty seeing things that are far away, especially this eye. And I need glasses to help me correct my vision, to help me see properly what is far away. And that's actually what's happening here. The Corinthians are suffering from spiritual short-sightedness. You see, they were only able to see in the short term. They were defining themselves based on who they are and what they had in the past, the present, and perhaps just the near future. They needed new lenses, gospel lenses, lenses to correct their spiritual short-sightedness, to focus on eternal things, not things that will pass away. And Paul gives them these gospel lenses in verse 29 when he explains what he means by worldly troubles. Let's look at it together. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. We, we see it here, don't we? The gospel lens, it helps us to see that the present form of this world is passing away. That the appointed time, the time between now and when Jesus is going to come again is very short. 
that the distress we experience now will experience is a reminder that the present form of this world will pass away. You see, the gospel lens helps us to correct our spiritual short-sightedness. Instead of being defined and controlled and preoccupied with this world that will pass away, the gospel lens helps us to refocus the way we look at the world and all that is in it. To live life in view of the eternal hope we have in Christ. To live into the freedom we have from this world and the hope that we have for all of eternity. At this point, we need to be clear. Living with a gospel lens does not mean being detached from life. It does not mean running away from all of life's responsibilities. It doesn't mean trying to avoid all of life's ups and downs. No, living with a gospel lens means living into the freedom we have in Christ. Because in Christ, we are free from being defined and controlled by this world. And you see this, and you say this again. God doesn't call us to be detached or run away from the world, but He is calling us to live into the freedom we have in Christ. Because it is only in Christ that we're free from being defined and controlled by this world and our status in this world. We see it in verses 30 and 31. We live in the world just as the rest of the world does. Married, sorrowing, rejoicing, buying, making use of it. But we are not determined by the world. We are not defined by our social status or by our ups and downs in the world. Christ City, we need to ask ourselves this morning, are we, do we suffer from spiritual short-sightedness? Might we be missing our gospel lenses? Do we find ourselves preoccupied, even defined by things of this world, by things that will eventually pass away? Specific to today's passage, today's passage calls us to ask ourselves, has our identity and self-worth come to be defined by our marital status? Has our marital status become a weight that just weighs us down all the time? Has it become an obstacle that we, we wake up each morning and we just can't see past it? Again, we need to be clear here, how we live into our marital status as marrieds and singles today has eternal value. And our marital status is important, but we just or we must be careful not to make it more important than it is. You see, the gospel frees us from being defined or controlled by marital status because the gospel frees us to the sure hope we have that any grief or struggle we have over our marital status will be over one day. Because one day, one glorious day, we will be with our Saviour Christ perfectly for all of eternity. And our marital status, now whatever it is, will be replaced by something and someone far better. <laughs> Would we put on our gospel lenses this morning? Don't, don't shortchange yourself by going through life controlled and defined by, by what you have in this world that will pass away. And it's only with gospel lenses that we understand the gospel priority that Paul seeks for the Corinthians. 
That's our third point for this morning, gospel priority. He explains his priority in verse 35. I say this for your, benefit, for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. You see, with the, with the perspective our gospel lens gives, we, we see what our gospel priority should be. It's undivided devotion to the Lord. Undivided devotion to the things that will not pass away. Not to be divided between things of this world and things of God, but to give ourselves completely to the things of God, to, to, to serve Him in a constant and undistracted way. You see, we do this, we devote ourselves in an undivided way out of a heart of gratitude in response to what Christ did for us on the cross and who He has made us in, in Him. But we also do this, we also devote ourselves because that is for our benefit. It is only by devoting ourselves completely to God, to the things of Him and not of this world, that we're living into the glorious purpose and meaning that we were created for. So again, we come back to the question, should a single person seek marriage? Well, firstly, we need a gospel lens. A gospel lens frees us from being defined by that question. But we also need a gospel priority because the gospel priority addresses the underlying assumptions we have behind that question that all of us have. You see, the gospel priority reminds us that marriage is not about me. And singleness is not about me because I am not my own. A gospel priority is not about what's best for me, it's about what glorifies God because that is what is best for me. See, marriage is not the ticket to personal fulfillment and satisfaction, it's a means to glorify God. But you see, singleness is not the excuse out of the obligations of marriage and parenthood. It's just a means to glorify God. See, marriage is not the solution to a fulfilling and meaningful life, and neither is singleness. Only Christ can give us true relational fulfillment and meaning, and so we must guard ourselves from the temptation of comparing ourselves with others of listening to stories and scrolling through social media and comparing ourselves with others and saying, if only, if only I were not married. If only I were married. If only I were married to someone else. Only then and only then would, would I have that fulfillment and joy that I've been looking for. No, we must guard ourselves from that. So it is only with a gospel lens and a gospel priority that we can properly come back to Paul's response to the question, should a single person seek marriage? He unpacks it further in verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, you probably noticed that the word anxious is a, is a frequent word that is used here. 
And we need to be clear, Paul is not using it in a negative sense. You know, the kind of bad anxiety of obsessing and worrying about things beyond our control because we don't trust God. That's not what Paul is, how Paul is using it. He's using it in, in, a good, in a good way, the good anxiety. We can almost look at it like care and concern. He's talking about the good anxiety of appropriately caring for and being concerned about the things of God and our God-given responsibilities. So when Paul says here in verse 32 he, that he wants us to be free from anxieties or concerns, he's not talking about being free from all responsibilities or concerns. The key is in verse 35. He wants us to be free from cares and concerns that divide our devotion to the Lord. That is the aim. And so it is with that goal in mind, the goal of having undivided attention to the Lord, that Paul makes a practical observation. He's not making a moral judgment. He's not saying this is a matter of right and wrong. He's making a practical observation, and this is his observation. We need to be careful here. An unmarried person has more time and space to serve the Lord in ways that a married person has less time and space to. I'm going to say that again. An unmarried person, a single person, has more time and space to serve the Lord in ways that a married person has less time and space to. Again, we need to be clear here. We all, we all have concerns about worldly things, about things of the world that will pass away. And just because they're going to pass away doesn't mean we shouldn't be concerned about them. We can't just not do the dishes or tidy the house, or take a shower, or take, our, or take someone to the doctor because the world will pass away. That's, that's not our approach. It's the approach that every kid has tried to make when it comes to making your bed. <laughs> you see, worldly things are important, and we should be appropriately concerned about them. We also need to be clear here, all of us, all of us, both married and singles, have worldly things to be concerned about, and there will be th- things that single people are more acutely concerned about and there'll be things that married people are more acutely concerned about. Again, Paul is not denying any of that. He's just making an observation that a single person, an unmarried person, on average, has more time and space to serve the Lord in ways that a married person has less time and space to. So should a single person seek marriage, Paul's answer is actually, it depends. So in the Bay household, we've got this game going on now that's called, which do you prefer? My kids are four and six years old. It's not a very elaborate game. (laughs) You just present two choices to to, to someone and you just ask, which do you prefer? Which do you prefer? Eating out or mommy's cooking? Which do you prefer? Pizza or burgers? Which do you prefer, the F1 race car or the fighter jet? (laughs) And sometimes the answer is obvious. And I can honestly report that Jess's homemade french fries have been declared the best in the whole wide world. (laughs) But sometimes the answer is, it depends. An F1 race car is better on the road, and a fighter jet is better in the air. And that's what's happening here. Paul isn't saying that singleness is better than marriage in every way. The same way we can't say that 
burger is better than pizza in every way or an F1 race car is better than a fighter jet in every way. Paul is just making a practical observation based on a specific consideration. I'm going to say that again. Paul is making a practical observation based on a specific criteria, specific consideration. From the consideration of having more time and space to serve the Lord in ways that a married person has less time and space to, it is better to be single. But we all know that's not the only consideration there is when deciding to get married. Paul is not making a general statement about whether singleness or marriage is better, and he's certainly not making a moral judgment. He's not saying one is right and one is wrong. In fact, we look at verse 35, Paul is very careful to say that he's not making a general statement. He says this, he does not want to lay any restraint upon us. He doesn't want us to go away thinking that one choice is correct and one choice is wrong. It is not a sin to marry and it's not a sin to stay unmarried. So yes, I can hear some of you saying, I understand all of that, but how about me? You haven't yet answered the question, should I seek marriage? Let's look at the rest of the passage from verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and is determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who marry, refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So, should I seek marriage? It's about desire and opportunity. Firstly, desire. Do we desire to be married? Do we have sexual and relational desires that can only be fulfilled in a covenant marriage? This doesn't mean that marriage is the solution to struggles with self-control. All of us, all of us, married and single, need God's gift of self-control to honor Him with our bodies and sexuality. If we don't have self-control when we are single, we won't have it when we're married. It's just that we're hurting someone far worse. But it does mean that for some of us, given our desires, we may choose to remain single. Perhaps because we don't have strong desires or our desires cannot be fulfilled in a covenant marriage. But for some of us, we would have the desire to be married. We wouldn't choose to be single but we haven't had the appropriate opportunity. And so if that is the case, until our desires that are right and good meet the right opportunity, our gift is the gift of singleness. Even though it may not be the gift we wanted, or perhaps even the gift that we expected. And so I like to speak directly to those of us who are single, who are not married, Today's passage actually answers another question. Is it good to be single? 
amid struggles with unfulfilled desires and hopes. In a society that almost seems against singleness, with, with bulk discounts and additional charges for single occupancy, At every wedding sermon or marriage book that even though they don't realize it, perhaps may hint, suggest that singleness is unnatural. Is it good to be single? Yes. Yes. Singleness is good. You see, in a world where singleness was looked down on far more than it is today, Paul goes out of his way to write something drastically countercultural. He goes out of his way to elevate the status of singleness. And this morning, God wants to elevate your view of your singleness. If you have ever, if you currently think that being a single means you're inferior, reject that lie in Jesus' name. Singleness is good. And God is pleased with you. For those of you who have chosen singleness, God is pleased with you. For those of you who have same-sex attractions and choose singleness to honour God, praise God for you. God is pleased with you. For those of you who did not choose singleness and are trusting your desires to God and His perfect will, praise God for you. God is pleased with you. And can I say this? We, your church family, are so thankful for you. You are not just a resource to be used. You are not just someone to ask for help when the marrieds are not available. I say this with all sincerity. You are not just another seat at the table. You're part of the family. And can I be so bold to say we are part of yours? You are loved and you are valued and you are to be celebrated. And so when you, re- when you have times to rejoice and celebrate, share it with others. Don't, don't think that... <laughs> your cause for celebration is any less than another cause. Don't rank them. If it is important to you, it's important to us because we are your family. And when you struggle with singleness, when you struggle to choose singleness, when you struggle with not having that choice at all, when you struggle with the different struggles that come at the different types of singleness you have in the different seasons of life, would you share that struggle with others? Would you share about your struggle and would you share with others how to share that struggle? Tell others what is helpful and tell them what is not helpful. I learned learned that I shouldn't give a blanket, come over whenever you want for dinner invitation. I've learned I should be specific and say, we would like you to come over on this day or this day or this day. Tell me which one works for you. 
To singles who are dating, we need to be clear here, this passage is not a permission for you to put off marriage and date indefinitely. I'm looking around to see if there's any nudges. We'll follow up with pastoral care. We're good. <laughs> dating is for you to seek God's will as to whether you should get married. Dating is not for you to enjoy the intimacy of a relationship without the commitments of marriage. Let's be clear here. Now, to those of us who are married, this passage is an elevation of singleness. And for some of us, let's be honest, we need to elevate our view of singleness. See, what happens is after a few months, a few years, a few decades of being married, we become less sensitive to the needs and perspectives of our single friends because we have come to assume that everyone looks at the world like married people do. Let's, let me give an example. For those of us with children, we need to prepare our children for both singleness and marriage. Singleness is good in and of itself. It's not just a waiting period for, to be married. Sometimes the way we parent might, might subtly put down singleness. For example, when we talk to our, a, a child or someone else about how a certain decision or habit may make it harder to find a spouse, what are we saying about what if they don't want a spouse or they can't find a spouse? And one more thing, this passage is an elevation of singleness, but it's not putting down marriage. Singleness is good, and marriage is good. Marriage with kids is good, and marriage without kids is good. To married people, this passage is not putting down your responsibilities or even your struggles and joys as a spouse and in-law and parent and grandparent. I know some of you are here specifically to help look after children of your children so they can serve and praise God for you. You see, you are married, and so God has decided that being married is the best way for you to serve Him with undivided devotion. You are not shortchanging God by serving your family. That's where a lot of burnout comes from. When married people feel guilty for being married and having kids, and then they push themselves to the point of exhaustion by doing what they shouldn't be doing and neglecting what they should be doing. You are not shortchanging God by serving your family. God is served when you serve your family. When you go on a date. Yes, when you go on a date. When you, when you, when you bring someone to the doctor. When you go on the school run. When you change a diaper. So as we end, could we just take a second to marvel at the beauty of our church? Just look around the room. God has made us so different, and yet he has made us brothers and sisters because we need each other. Our church has needs that singles are more able to address, and our church has needs that married people are more able to address. And we need each other. We need to serve and be served. We need to love and be loved. We need the church. And yes, the church needs us. 
God saved us and there's something specific that God wants us to bring to the table. And your whole life that has been leading up to this moment is, can, is for you to serve God with. You see, God's church is beautiful because of its diversity. Because in, its, in, in how different we are, it's a reminder and a message to our city that the gospel is powerful and it unites all of us. Singles and marriage as we serve God and we serve each other for His glory.